Hello and welcome back to Let's Grow Girls, your favourite cut flower podcast. Welcome everybody. This week we have got one of my favourite topics. I'm not ashamed to say that I <laughs> try and squeeze a daily episode into uh, every single season possibly. And, I don't um, know how I'm she does sh- it. Every season, every <laughs> season, somehow. Well, you know, and I'm sure many of my other daily loving friends out there, the listeners, are already familiar with this week's guest. We've got David Hall, who runs Halls of Hedden, which is a dahlia and chrysanthemum nursery here in the UK. David, I know that you are well known in the dahlia world, having, and the nursery itself is quite well known. I can see it on your lovely fleece that we've already commented on, but when I did my homework, I also saw that the nursery has been running for more than 100 years. Is that right? That is right, yes. Um, Started by my granddad in 1921. So it's a proper family business. Yes. And how did you get into it, David? Because, I mean, it's a family business, but we've had some uh, rogue careers in this business. They don't always end up in the family business, but you've carried on the tradition of being a, a nurseryman. Yeah, it was. Initially, I wanted to go and join ADAS and then sort of drifted into the family business after going away to college. I spent three years down at Ritual Agricultural College in Essex. Um, lucky enough to meet my wife. We came back, she started here as well. We had the two kids. We've just developed the business since. You know, it is a family affair because my cousin runs another nursery that we've got a few miles away where we do all the daily propagation. And I suppose it runs in the blood. To go back in a bit more, my granddad actually served in the Northumberland Fusiliers as a volunteer stretcher bearer. And he was injured in Passchendaele. It meant that he couldn't go back to his job working in the breweries due, due to the changes in temperature, etc., from indoor-outdoor. And he loved gardening. He used to do his boss's garden and decided he'd um, start a nursery. found this little small holding up at Hedden, um, which was a bit run down, connected to a big house. Um, all greenhouses etc spent a few weekends clearing it up with his brother started the business as we say in 1921 specializing in delphiniums and pansies with a few croissants then dahlias came on the pansy viola enterprise dropped when a blackbird got amongst all the labels and pulled all the labels out oh goodness um my uncle (laughs) will who took the business a stage further was very into Chrysanthemum and Delphinium breeding. I found some an old set of his notes at one point, sadly incomplete. And I suppose some of the link goes back and it gets a bit um, bit emotional in one bit. He was shot down on his very last mission over Holland where he'd been a reconnaissance pilot in the RAF. And this is in the oh, Second wow. World War on the 14th of April... 1941 and 20 years later to the date I was born so I almost think I was meant to be in a way that um, I'd carry on in the business and here I am here you are and uh, it sounds like the nursery's gone through quite a few changes over the years in terms of like what you've been selling and that kind of thing when did dahlias become the big thing at the nursery was it your dad that really championed that my uncle will again did chrysanthemum breeding and the dahlia sort of came in about 1926 we produced the first catalogue in about i think it was 1932 exhibited down in london with both chrysanthemums and dahlias during the 50s and at that time the chrysanthemums were the biggest part of the mail order catalogue outnumbering dahlia varieties by about two or almost three to one. Oh wow you know now it's the other way around <laughs> dahlias we've always introduced new varieties on behalf of amateur breeders so we've got a name for them 
if we go back to the 50s and 60s, there was actually then a British Dahlia Growers Association that we were members of. It had about 70 or so members, basically professional nurseries that regarded themselves as Dahlia specialists. They all drifted away, either through um, families not wanting to continue the business, selling the land off for building, changing uh, demand for various plants, because it is hard. It's not an easy job, this specialised evidence. People think, yeah, you stick a cutting in, root it, sell it, loads of money. But it's all the costs and that that go against that as well. It's um, if it's 12 months of the year, you'll know it's growing cut flowers. You've got to be looking after them all that time. But yeah, for the benefit of them and all that beautiful colour you get in the autumn. With the dahlias that you've you've been you know cultivating over the years, I know when we chatted before briefly, you told me some quite interesting stories about that you, you actually like develop them for other breeders. So you grow them on or take on collections from other other people. Is that how most of your stock has come to exist? Or have you gone out there and hunted or bred any yourself? In the main, it's been contacts that my dad had where we'd have looked for new varieties or amateur breeders would have asked us to trial a variety. We would have seen it performing on the show bench at flower shows because primarily when we started in the you know like the 50s 60s when dailies were at the fore and started and the trend started shifting towards dailies and a bit maybe a bit away from croissants we were mainly supplying exhibitors so we were looking mm. for perfection in the varieties that we tried and there was a massive change in how dailies looked how the forms were adapted, how breeders looked for particular merits in a variety to take it forward for us to introduce. We would trial them. If we felt they were good enough, then we were maybe given the exclusive right to introduce them for the breeder, to which he would get like a royalty payment each year. We'd maybe be introduced maybe just two or three varieties a year. And then we continued that with just getting to know people that are very keen amateur breeders but they're looking more towards show bench potential rather than necessary cut flower potential although we're changing that in the 70s 80s we brought in collarettes and bishop of landaf which has been a variety that's been about since 1926 we didn't stop that until Mm. about i think it was about 1982 when we brought it in because i felt we needed to cater for um, a wider range of daily enthusiasts if you like rather than just looking towards the best varieties for the show bench. And then it's gone on from there, collarettes, water lilies, we've bred a few ourselves, just natural seedlings, the Hadrian's range of varieties. We're all just natural seedlings selected. In fact, the very first one that we had, which was Hadrian's Sunlight, basically seedlings that appeared on bench in the greenhouse where we've been growing Delia Potti, it was the previous year, and it all germinated in the sand. We thought, oh, they look good. There's some dark leaf ones amongst <laughs> there. The variety that had been grown in that spot twinings after it so all natural mm. pollination we selected a few we grew it we trialed it we introduced it and within three years of its introduction it got an agm that um by, with the rhs oh wow that's amazing and the hadrian's prefix that's because you're near hadrian's wall isn't it have i made that up yes hadrian's <laughs> wall is about um <laughs> half a mile south of where i'm sitting at the moment <laughs> at least you've realized why we've used the hadrian's prefix <laughs> somebody did ask 
me the question, where did mm. the Hadrian's prefix come from? And I had to remind him about our locality. Mm. Oh, you see, I did my homework as well. I did my, I did read where you guys were, so I can't Good. take total credit for it. But... <laughs> <laughs> and have you really noticed that over the last few years? I mean, I guess more recently, actually, about the shift towards kind of a different mm. kind of daily, the cut flower that I know when we've spoken before, you kind of a bit surprised at how the Instagram world has taken things in a bit of a different turn with things. Have you really found that to be the case? Yeah, I wouldn't say I've been sort of caught out, but that is, it, it would probably have been caught out about this, this sudden surge in demand, particularly since like lockdown and how much influence that's had on it, I don't know. But there's a lot of new dahlia growers out there. You'll see it yourselves as well. They've all of a sudden become extremely popular as a cut flower, which they have been to a degree. But I remember taking some to a wholesale market about maybe 15, 20 years ago now, and we'd always done them for wholesale. And people asking what's these we've never seen these before thinking, how strange is that we've been sending boxes of cut dahlias to the wholesale up to that point since about the 1950s 1960s at one point we were growing about 15,000 spray croissants and uh, 7,000 dahlias purely for like the cut flower side of it oh wow mm. we stopped doing that believe it or not probably about 10 years ago supplying the wholesale mm. market the return and what the financial return we're getting just didn't cover the costs of getting them there so we decided it was more beneficial to leave the blooms on the field for all the visitors that have always come to see us in September so September when the flower we get people traveling from all areas of the country some actually just making a specific trip up here I had a lady last year from uh, Chichester which is a seven hour drive all got here in the Friday afternoon had a look round came back on the Saturday morning spent another three or four hours and then drove back to Chichester so it's actually worth leaving them on the fields just for the spectacle that people see and of course we do sell them you know, sell cut flower just direct from the nursery, um, but we don't wholesale it anymore. Well, that's true, daily love, a 14-hour round trip. <laughs> yes. And you say the spectacle, so how many are there in the field, would you say? We're planting all our stock because it's you've got to remember mm. that our the main reason that we plant in the field is for our stock for next year. Next year, I'm going to, sorry, scrub that. The deal is that we planted out in the field, actually put there for stock purposes, they're so not really for cut flower. So we mm-hmm. plant out 6,500, thousand annually in blocks of 20 of each variety throughout the flowering season we'll check those for health and vigor and tuners to tight Mm -hmm. and then come november we'll be lifting them the flowers you could argue from our point of view they're almost a a byproduct of the fact that we need the tubers to propagate the cuttings from next year so from those six and a half seven and a half thousand that were plant out we would expect in a growing season to produce up to about a hundred thousand cuttings from them to supply customers with plants from march right the way through to June then we have obviously our six and a half to seven and a half thousand stock plants to take off those as well to plant out we don't plant out until the second third week in June up here as young plants and then we also grow about nine and a half ten thousand as pot tubers so the numbers we get are you know quite incredible when you talk to people about you know what mm-hmm. we do when you explain to them they're sometimes quite shocked but also, people are also shocked that there's nothing in the fields at the minute they don't believe that we lift them all not everybody but some people expect that we just leave them in the ground and they're just there every year but they're not they're lifted mm. we clean them we set them up we take cuttings and if you've seen any of the posts and that i do on the facebook and some of the youtube videos that i've done you'll sort of get an idea of our season from there i cannot imagine digging 
digging up 7,000 tubers. I cry at digging up my 50 or 60 by the end of it. You know, so I, perhaps I don't have the right get up for it because by the end of it, I'm always cold, wet, miserable, looking forward to getting home and getting clean and dry again. I, I bet it must take you a long time to do 7,000. Remember, I do employ staff. <laughs> Okay, oh yeah okay 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 um, maybe, maybe that's where I'm going wrong I need staff not David. just one man in the fields <laughs> with one little fork yeah when we've got all set up it doesn't actually take that long it's just having the the team geared up mm. the, the logistics worked out the space in the greenhouses so we can bring them in so sometimes on a day on a good day we've lifted two and a half thousand before with a team of six. Oh wow you're getting it done in under a week if you go hard yeah it's ten, with ten spread it out over maybe two or three weeks just because of the logistics side of it and lifting them we then wash them and then we've got to bring them in lay them on benches upside down to drain them mm. and then after a few days we'll turn them the right way up so we're constantly moving and there's other things to do at that time you know we'll sometimes have roses to bring in and pot up and we'll have Christmas trees to sell if we'll leave it till late and a few wreaths to make and just the general running of the nursery croissants to sort out so we've got a batch of stock mm. croissants to take in um, you know in general January. As long as the weather is reasonable at lifting time, we will not necessarily rush to lift the dailies because I work on the basis that the longer in the ground, the longer that they are in the ground, the safer and easier they are to look after. Mm. As long as I can get them in before the severe weather and the frost come, become too hard, which was the problem. Last year, for many people that they got bored out, it had been very dry, then we had a very wet spell, and then the temperatures plummeted to minus nine up here. I was speaking to a lady this morning from down south and she said a garden where she works it actually they actually recorded minus 17. Ouch. Which in the UK? Oh no. I mean I don't like the sound of that. That's what I was about to say. (laughs) But yeah I unfortunately ended up with some um very soft tubers myself this year which was a shame but it happens doesn't it it's some, the same place i've stored them year after year and this year it was just too cold for them well that's it i think we've got and even us ourselves have probably got a little bit complacent about it we've been getting these milder winters and then we've just all got caught there was still flowering at the beginning of november um, yeah we were still in flower and i'll you know, talk to people who were admitted they were probably a little bit greedy and thought they're flowering i'll still cut them and then almost left it too late to get them to get them in and certainly not enough time to dry them and then not having the protection that they needed to you know for the temperatures that we did have so moving on to the the first topic we wanted to talk to you about you briefly mentioned like the cuttings versus the pot tubers and i think for a lot of people they don't understand the difference between a normal tuber and a pot tuber and then like the benefit of growing from a cutting rather than growing from a tuber so i don't know what's the best way of explaining it but i'm guessing it's not the first time you've been asked this question David about pot tubers so I wonder if you can maybe start from whichever end you think is the best and go through what a pot tuber is why you start with that and move along you're right and it's not the first time I've been asked that (laughs) we've been asked that more a lot over the last couple of years compared with when we first started doing them believe it or not we've been doing pot tubers since the 1960s I think we started and I probably need to go back maybe a little bit more whether 
you think this is of interest or not, leave it up to you. But remember I talked <laughs> about the British Daily Brewers Association. Mm. In the early years, we and virtually all the members of the association used to sell green plants. Dailies were sold as green plants. And in our, our case, we used to grow them in, well, we used to do the same thing. We used to take cuttings, pot them into three and a half inch clay pots, and then at time of dispatch or time of collating in order together, they'd be knocked out of the clay pots and they'd be sent to customers, whether it be by post or by rail. In the 1947, 48, I think the BDGA was founded. There was a period where they were very strongly objecting about the Dutch import of tubers, of tubers coming into this country, with the fear that the dormant tuber you couldn't tell the health of the plant because you couldn't see the leaves on it, mm. if that makes sense. But that, you know, the, they actually tried for a ban on Dutch imports. Oh. Um, certainly that wouldn't happen these Obviously days. weren't successful. <laughs> The 1950s, it was late, late 50s, there was a consensus that maybe pot tubers would be a useful way exhibitors propagating their own stock. So the idea of pot tubers came about um, just because it was a good way of, we could grow them in the greenhouses, in pot could virtually make the greenhouse insect proof, so there was a bit of research done on how to get the best out of them, making it insect proof by putting like nets across, you know, the ventilate, you know, ventilation system, good control of aphids, all that sort of stuff would help ensure that we had healthy stock. And this was wasn't just us this was adopted in a method that was used by other nurseries as well and it was a chance for us to send them out and an exhibitor to actually instead of just having to buy 10 or 20 plants they could buy one tuber one pot tuber grown in the confines of a small pot to set them up on a bench and actually take multiple cuttings throughout the propagation season and if they had the facilities available they could be getting cuttings from january through to taking them in end of march early april which would still give your plants big enough to flower and say you know that's how we started with pot pot tubers. Our main trade is still certainly in many plants and to go back to the difference between tubers young cuttings, say the pot tubers are small compact intended for propagation, field tubers is an easy way of growing your vast quantities of them. The way I work it with a, with a cutting you've got more control from the start. You can bulk up your numbers quite quickly from cuttings using the tuber as the basis of the stock. Um, so from one, one tuber we can get maybe 30-40 plants through the season if not more they've got to work on it work at it to bulk the numbers because your rooted cutting's got a fresh strong root system you've got generally stronger growth on it you can manipulate the way the plant grows far easier you have more control of it and I must admit that control is more important to exhibitors than maybe people that are growing for cut flower the difference between the way the flower the stems will tend to be stronger the colour will tend to be more intense than growing from it straight up from a tuber Basically, from a tuber, you're pulling a lot of nutrient, a lot of goodness effectively through the old root system, dare I say. You will mm. tend to get earlier flowers from a tuber compared with a mini plant. Um, I'm saying most of it's down to the fact that there's probably more control. And contrary to the belief, there's a lot of people think that from the mini plants that we supply, they won't be big enough to flower this year. I get asked that a lot. Many, you know, people stating that the mini plants mm. are too small, we'll have to grow them on and won't get anything till next year. Well, anybody that comes and see the fields, see what we plant out in June and then comes back up in September. September, they do get quite a shock to see how much they've grown and they also think they won't produce a tuber in such a short period of time but you know they do we plant out we, our the cuttings for our own stock we would generally take at the end of april first week in may and then we'll be planting out wow. on probably the ideal would be the 16th to 18th of june last year we didn't really get started until the 21st and we didn't finish until the 29th of june yet all of those flowers by just certainly the second week in september and we mm. would Putting flowers off those right through till the end of 
October and then we lifted tubers that are now the source of all our cutting material for this coming season. It's quite incredible really. I think people are really worried mm. about growing from the, the mini plants. And a mini plant, am I right in saying that's a rooted cutting? It's the same it's the same thing essentially. Yes, yeah, it was a, it was a name yeah. we, we coined, my dad coined, I suppose, back in the 1970s. Uh, I mean, it says what it is on the tin, it is a mini plant. Yeah, yeah it's <laughs> a young plant that will grow away very, very vigorously. Mm-hmm. I mentioned way back in the in the early days, we used to grow the plants, knock them out with three and a half inch clay pots. We then shifted onto the fibre pots, what we call, mm-hmm. or I remember being called, whale high pots, which used to seriously worry me as a kid because I thought there was all these whales being used to make paper <laughs> but it was really just bitumen coated paper which broke down naturally once we were planted in the soil. Postage and packing costs of those were on the rise and then many plants were a good alternative again just getting them out you could get more in a box more for your more for your money effectively. Yeah. Um, and they're more eco-friendly now for like those people who are concerned yeah. about the plastic consumption. I love the way that you wrap them in with the moss and the newspaper and everything. That's I- the way I used to help my mum do it. <laughs> you know, way, way back in the 60s, you know, 70s, that's how we used to do them, the, the young plants. used mm-hmm. to be always with paper and moss and wrapped up. Then we went on to polythene back. Gone full circle again. Ended. So the last few years, we've gone back to where the old way. And then for those people that haven't got facilities to bring the mini plants on, because ideally you need to pot them up, grow them on 10 degrees sort of minimum in the greenhouses on for a few weeks, and then you wouldn't plant them out until the risk of frost is over in your area, which will vary depending on where you are. We do our offer still the garden ready plants which is effectively the plants we used to supply back in the 50s 60s before we introduced the mini plants so they're now growing in instead of the whale hide the paper pot that they're growing in a paper mulch pot which still will biodegrade okay. once planted out i just think i mean i know it's difficult if you don't have the facility to look after the mini plants before the frost but they're such a great way of being able to get like you know start early because the thing i hate about tubers and don't get me wrong i, I still I still get tubers because there's some varieties that you can only get that way. I love that I can have so many more in such a smaller space to grow on. I haven't got to got got to have you know like five liter tubs everywhere full of tubers and so many more varieties in a small space. And the price of them is so much better. I think as well, it's more much more economical way of mm. being able to to get more if that's what you want. Yeah, well, the really you can sort of put them up. Say probably when you know, I, I obviously look around and. I'm compare stuff and some of the tubers that you can get places whether the field tubers or the like the imports i sometimes think how can they do them for that because i know what works involved with us doing what we do with our mini mm. plants but i'd say it goes back to the fact that if you've got the facilities i think the mini plants do give you that um that better start you, you know what you're getting because when it turns up it's green and it's growing you've got the control over it which depending on what cultivar you're getting you can manipulate it to get the maximum flower size on them you can manipulate the size you stop them you can control the number of shoots on them so the big flower giant ones like I think the ones that are more show type ones I must admit here like uh, Aggie White or Louis White which will flower 12 to 15 inches across if you let them or Sir Ralph Ramsey you get a good strong plant with a really good root system restricted to three stems and you'll get those great big flowers on them if you don't want mm-hmm. big flowers you just let more and more come and they'll be smaller you don't disput them as much and um, you can manipulate flowering time a little bit better on sorry cut that because i've gone off totally <laughs> off so right, you so asked right. me a question sorry <laughs> <laughs> no, it's okay <laughs> 
do you find that with the cuttings as well that you get a better i know you said you get like a better plant but do you think the flower itself is better like it's a better color and shape as opposed to growing from a tuber yes i do think so it goes back to the fact that i think because it's on a new it's a fresh new root system you're going to get an improved color and i say i think better stems you can control the tuber but you, you know problem is with starting with a tuber to a degree you don't know how many shoots you're going to get coming through the soil to start off with so maybe you've got to thin them out or maybe mm. you've got to stop them back early to encourage it you know with a with a mini plant rooted cutting you know exactly what you're going to get you're going to get a single stemmed plant coming through that you can stop at various heights to do so if it was if you were buying a what's the favorite dahlia megandine that everybody seems to love at the minute you know i love megandine yeah a, a miniature <laughs> ball you've got to mention western and Ella grace because there's a story about that one as well because that's my wife's favorite <laughs> you want to quite easily get about eight to ten stems off that from your rooted cutting if it's grown strongly you, you chop it back to leave five pairs of leaves on it that'll give you 10 stems which is about the best quantity of stems for getting good flowers on that one if you were growing a, a giant dahlia where you want biggest size blooms you'd stop it back at two pairs of leaves once the plant is really strong oh it makes a difference where you stop the leaves does it yes oh i did not know that yeah no there's um it is it helps you control the number of breaks the number of laterals the number of flowering stems yeah. on the plant which for a cut flower grower you probably want as many as you can get yeah but where you're wanting bigger flowers that are more showy you would restrict the number of stems that you're getting for the giant ones in particular you can do that in two ways one is to just literally stop it straight back at two pairs of leaves that's four breaks the other way is just you could stop it a bit higher but then thin out the plant so you've maybe only got three or four flowering stems coming on it that's putting all the energy into a limited number of stems so you're getting bigger better flowers sometimes you can do it too severely and you can actually distort the shape of the flower a little bit we've seen i've seen that happen before where from an exhibitor's perspective and i know we're really talking cut flowers they think they can push a variety to beyond its limits and they do mm. it distorts the bloom because there's too much energy going up into it so the shape mm. gets a little bit deformed i'm going off, like off track here <laughs> Oh, we love off track. But I love that. Yeah, it's do. made me realise I don't really put any science into it. I just cut them back where it feels right. I'm like, this feels good. I've never thought about <laughs> how many breaks. That just shows I'm such an amateur at home gardener. Ditto. I'm like, yeah, th- going to cut it back here because it feels right. <laughs> well, yeah, that, that's it. You, 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 you learn as you go um, mm-hmm. to a degree. But the basic principle is the smaller the flower, the more flowering stems you can allow. If you get the, the plant going away too too far before you pinch it out, the chances are be already getting to be near flowering mm-hmm. stage. You know, you, you end up with seven or eight pairs of leaves and your ninth pair would have a flower bud in it. So sometimes yeah. you've got to be brave and cut back harder. Because I've heard the phrase used, I'm not sure who I heard use it, might have been Philip or something where cut hard and cut deep nothing wrong with that gives you stronger stems if, you, if you're too delicate with them you just get smaller weaker stems so you you learn it by, by trial and error to a degree and that's the problem with I think growing a lot of plants people are looking for defined rules they're looking for somebody to tell them this is what you have to do mm-hmm. but there's not because people's needs are sometimes slightly different it's working out what's best for you how you store them it's what works best for you what do you want the flowers for do you want it for, for cutting or do you want it for showing? It's what works best for you. Obviously, you've got to take the variety into consideration, then work out how to get the best best out of it. If you try and get too many coming away, the 
you're in danger of getting short and weak stems and not really having something to cut at. You know, so mm-hmm. I've talked about, you know, the way we pinch them back, term we call stopping to three, four or five pairs of leaves to get the, the, the main flowering laterals. You know, the next stage once those are developed is disbudding, you know, taking some of the side shoots out. If you just want the garden show, you can just take the first pair of buds out below the terminal one. You get loads of flowers, but they'll be smaller if you want good stems for cutting. You go back two, three, four pairs of buds from the, uh, sorry, two, three or four pairs of leaves from the main bud, and that'll give you a good stem length. And at the same time, for your bigger flowers, the further you go back, the more energy you're putting into that main bloom to get something the size of a football, if not bigger, basketball size. Mm. That's a good so one. that's how I get the biggest flower, cut it back more mm-hmm. stop it earlier yeah if you get if you've got to be dependent on the variety so you're not going to okay. get a great big flower off megan dean if you only let grow one up it's oh no no but if i'm going dinner plate already yeah but mm-hmm. if it's a, a variety like cafe Lair, which we never stopped until about five years ago <laughs> you know it's, it's big and blousy hamari girl i've seen labyrinths you know that seems to be quite popular mm. if you want the biggest and best out of those you would maybe only let allow sorry you would only allow maybe four or five stems to develop on the plants and then when the, the flower buds are there in the, in the in the end when the terminal buds are there the ones that are going to open the flower you would strip out the the side buds below that to maybe four or five pairs below so giving you a good long mm-hmm. clear stem all the energy is going to mm-hmm. go go into it and instead of getting a six inch flower you might get a 10 inch flower well i've got hamari girl coming from you this year <laughs> david how big do you reckon i can get it you reckon i can get like a like a 15 you won't get a Maori girl quite that big because it doesn't quite have the bigger that it used to have and I know people can't see that on, on a podcast can they? Um, Nicole I think you should try and grow one bigger than the puppy that's your challenge oh I, yeah if you want to grow a really big bloom and impress everybody then probably one of the best varieties to go for is either Sir Ralph Ramsey which I've seen that Mm -hmm. about almost 14 inches across Wow. Or Aggie White, Brinterfell and Louis White. I've mentioned all them three quite quickly because basically they are all related to each other. Brinterfell being the original bred in New Zealand, an Irish gentleman by the name of Christopher White had a, a bronzy orange spot of it, which he named after his mum. That was Aggie White. And then in exactly the same spot of soil, a few years later, he had a bright yellow spot, um, which he named after his dad, which is Louis White. Oh, well, I'm, I might be phoning you tomorrow to add uh, one of those giants on. <laughs> to my order <laughs> yeah i think you know from a cut flower perspective a lot of those are kind of like the ball varieties they're quite popular for cut flowers these days if you're in doubt and you don't know the varieties as in depth as you do is there a kind of a, a fail safe place to stop them would you say yeah we do a guide on our website the early guide which is downloadable and i'm not wanting to use this as advertising so you can cut this no no i'm, so I'm there i'm <laughs> but the principle being right the smaller the flower the more pairs you would allow to develop on the plant before you pinch the center out so if i was to give you as a rough guide if the, the earlier the variety was classed as a, a large or a giant i would generally stop it 
two or three pairs of leaves, okay. which will give you four to six breaks. On a medium one, three to four pairs of leaves, you've got mm-hmm. like fully developed and you can pinch it out. And then on smaller miniatures, you're looking at five to six pairs of leaves and then pinch the centre out, which will give you 10 to 12 flowering stems. Yeah. Okay. When it comes to disbudding, so when you have your terminal bud is there in the top of the stem, ready to start flowering, on a smaller miniature, you'd maybe remove just the first one or two pairs of buds below that. And then the bigger the flower, the further you'd go back. So on a giant, you might mm-hmm. strip out five pairs of buds to leave a good long stem. Mm-hmm. This is so hard. Because that's one of the questions... <laughs> We're really testing you here. No, I think our listeners will get what you mean. Because it's all on that ground, guys. We're all, familiar, we're all familiar with where to pinch, but... I feel like our listeners can just imagine, like, gesturing. Sometimes and um, um, sometimes we talk and we're like, yeah, three pairs of leaves, and you peel them back, and we all gesture. And I feel like when I listen, <laughs> I can totally imagine the grower being like, yeah, and you pinch these ones off, and you take those ones off. <laughs> but no, that was really good intel. And I think the next kind of intel we were hoping to gain from your many, many years of experience was about, I guess, the art of taking cuttings at home. So obviously, in your business, you take cuttings quite early to make sure you can supply the nation with their daily yeah. needs but for like the average grower at home with no heated greenhouse when do you think the the average grower could start taking their own cuttings if they wanted to big question <laughs> yeah just trying to think about that one you don't need posh facilities to take cuttings and it sort of yeah. slightly worries me that people say pictures of, on facebook uh, facilities that top growers have and think then they've got to emulate that and they've got to have something similar and they've got to buy a heat mat got to buy a grow light but generally speaking if you You've just got some gentle heat, like a conservatory windowsill or a greenhouse with a bit of warmth in it. You could start your tubers off in trays or in pots, you know, probably about mid-February, March time. Give them a gentle water and get them into growth. And when you've got maybe three or four inches on a shoot, you can take a cutting off that. And you just treat a daily cutting in the same way as you would any softwood cutting, okay? Mm-hmm. Like a fuchsia cutting or... I mean, I'm trying to think of other softwood plants. Geranium cutting. Just below a leaf node, because that's where the concentration of hormones yeah. is in, right? You would strip off the bottom two. So leaves. we don't have to actually slice the tuber off. No. Because I've seen some people are like, oh, you've got to get the tuber, you've got to get a bit of tuber mm. on there. This it goes back to it, right way, wrong way, what suits you way. It works, but what you get by doing that, but may not, what you don't get by doing that is regrowth and more cuttings to take from the tuber. You effectively right. stop the oh, production we're stopping of it from now. that area of the tuber. Because we've taken that eye off now. Yes, mm. yeah. So, yeah, I was going to mention a certain BBC presenter that uses that method, but I dare say, so I'm not. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we'll, 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 we'll leave that one there. I yeah. think we know who you're talking about. <laughs> so always leave a pair of leaves on the tuber, right? Oh. So they might not be fully developed leaves. They might just be like little embryonic leaves at the base. If you remove the the eye with some of the tuber, you're not going to get regrowth. You're only then maybe then going to get one cutting off your tuber if it's not been very productive. If you allow it to develop a bit, cut below leaf node, leaving another pair at least of leaves on below. 
ignore that, then that's effectively like pinching the plant in the field. You're going to get more cuttings developed mm. from that area over the course of the season, get multiple cuttings. That's how we do ours. That's how we get so many cuttings wow, of a small number wonder. of plants. That's how we multiply up from six and a half, seven and a half thousand to a hundred thousand in that mm. we cut back to... It makes so much sense when you say it like that, but I didn't, I didn't realise you could do that because one of the questions we had to ask was about like when you pinch them can you use that as a rooted cutting essentially the bit that you've cut off the top is, this, is it the same premise as when you're taking the original cuttings yeah you, you could use it but that's going to be so near to, to flowering that it will flower but okay we've, we've done that before we've sometimes had to do that before another method of bulking mm. up what we call using it as mother stock so from your cutting yeah. that's rooted and growing you can take a cutting out of the tip of it and then that mother plant will produce side shoots that instead of letting to develop to flower will effectively yield more cuttings oh wow and so that, if you say that one and try and put that one on your podcast i'm going to be out of business in two years because nobody will need me <laughs> <laughs> no no don't will. be daft i'm afraid i don't <laughs> Just to go back and to give some of our listeners some reference, because I know some or lots of people listen from the Americas and even further. So you said get tubers planted up sort of late February, March time in the UK. Yeah. And so for reference, Nicole, am I correct? We're like a US growing zone seven, eight? I, I, I don't we're, know. We're like I, somewhere I, around there. So yeah, around a US grown seven or eight. Yeah, oh. so that would be as we were coming into spring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we're fairly similar to Christine Altrek when I was talking to her, that she sets yeah. her tubers up mm-hmm. at about the yes. same time as we do with a bit of heat on. Yeah. So... She's got similar seasons to us and she's mm-hmm. in Santa cruise in mid california isn't she so she's she's got seasons like we do Mm -hmm. but not atrocious cold like some 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 places in america so you plant them up you let them sprutle away you cut you leave a pair of leaves and then what do you do talk us through it are you a rooting hormone guy we are a rooting hormone business yes because Mm -hmm. what we need when we take a batch of ten thousand cuttings we need them rooting as evenly as possible Mm -hmm. we want to know that when we take that batch of cuttings that it will be available to send out as plants in roughly five weeks time and we can only achieve that by using a rooting hormone i know a lot of people say you don't need it but there are reasons why we do if you were at home and it was just a bit of fun i don't suppose the rooting hormones essential they're likely to still no it's it's not the will root and there are various organic ways and different ways that i've heard of people doing it and i wish i could remember them tell you but i'm sure you probably know <laughs> I've heard a mycorrhizal fungi, if you use that for your roses, it's a similar thing to a rooting hormone. It will help. I've never used it, or I've never heard of it being used to help them root, but it will certainly help plant grow. And we planted some dailies mm. with it in the ground one year, and there was a noticeable difference as to how well they developed. Oh. Okay. Uh-huh. But for taking a cutting, we, well. you've got to that point where you've cut it off the, the tube after leaving a pair of leaves. You've cut it just below mm-hmm. a leaf node, a pair of leaves. Trim the very mm-hmm. bottom pair off okay put it in your mm-hmm. hormone or don't put it in your hormone depending on what your preference is you're cutting only wants to have 
what really wants to be a couple of inches long two or three inches long it doesn't need to be too big if it's got a lot of leaf area then chop the leaves in half that reduces the transpiration rate helps the cutting remain turgid without it will you know sort of wilt less and that will all help in the speed of rooting if you haven't got heated benches which we are lucky enough to have and again there's the same reason as using the rooting hormone to try and speed up and even out even out the rooting process they can just go in the side of the pot you'll have seen people doing that because there's a bit more air circulation around the side of the pot you know the, the tender root better i know some people just stick them in the middle of the pot again it's what works for you what works for you and you should get rooting within about um 20 20 days or so just without any basal heat important to make sure the cutting doesn't get under too much stress so it doesn't want to be in full sun some people will put a polythene mm-hmm. bag over the pot and just secure that with an elastic band around the top so that's like making a mini propagator i've heard mm-hmm. of people using um well pot bottles sort of cutting oh, yeah. too so you've got a top and a you know bottom and a top that you can therefore make your own propagator you're showing your northern roots there david with your pop bottles all right okay i grew up in bradford so i'm familiar with a pop bottle do you know what a pop bottle is Sarah I do know excuse me I do know what a pop bottle is and I actually that was my so for reference I'm probably the most newbie gardener here in this group of three my first year growing was probably 2021 and I did all my dahlia cuttings in pop bottles and I sellotaped them oh I I remember that with the lid off and I excuse me I had great success all my cuttings (laughs) took great I multiplied my stock with great success so i can 10 out of 10 recommend the pop bottle technique there you go so every if, if you're ever over here and need a job uh, please actually um i might t- might take you up on that but i in terms of a heated heated bench so i had my little pop bottles and i did little drainage holes in the bottom and i left the lid off for ventilation and then i put them on a radiator on a sunny window mm-hmm. and bob's your uncle my main next question would be when do you think in talking of our climate and so hopefully people have understood our climate and how they can compare it to theirs but when do you think is the latest point you could take a cutting here and it's still flower we've taken them as late as early to mid-may and had them wow. flower in that year and i know some exhibitors wow. who've been desperately short of stock of varieties that they rely on for the show bench have taken them mid-may and had them on the show bench early September. Oh, wow, that is amazing. So what we're trying to say, listeners, is you've, you've still got time and you've got no Definitely. excuses. If you drink pop, <laughs> a.k.a. fizzy drinks, a.k.a. soda, no excuses. So, David, I think we've just got one last question for you, which is Sarah's favourite question. It's her question. I'm not normally allowed to ask it, so I hope she's remembered it today because it's been a while since we recorded. It's giving me a blank face, David. I'm afraid. This is, this is not, you, this is no, not planned, is it? <laughs> you, you broke up for a second there, and I was trying to figure out if I was the only person who's having internet issues, maybe I am. But anyway, the big question, no pressure, is if you could give one piece of advice to the people listening for the guard... I know, don't... Oh, your face, you look terrified. <laughs> if you can... <laughs> If you could give like one key piece of advice to uh, the listeners for the gardening season sort of ahead, so the 2023 season to come, 
what would that piece of advice be? On dahlias? It doesn't have to be dahlia specific. It could be anything. Don't try and cram too many into a small space. Good advice. You see and you hear of people trying to get as many varieties as they can and the hearing of them plant them in ridiculously cramped conditions that it's going to drown the drown the beauty of the plant out. Um, I could give you loads more different things, but that's the one that immediately sprang to <laughs> mind after seeing some comments that appear on social media about people spacing and this, mm. that and the other. Dailies will do perfectly well at 60 centimetres apart. We planted 45 centimetres by need to the support that we use, and I know some varieties will be beneficial if they were 80 centimetres apart. Mm. But yeah, don't try and squeeze too many in. Enjoy what you've got. Don't try mm. and too much work for yourself because planting too many you can struggle to maintain them and get the best out of them. that's hard advice david because we want all yeah, the dahlias that's <laughs> i want I have one more sneaky, sneaky, sneaky oh. question because te- obviously you see everyone's orders and like you've said, obviously you didn't stock um, some varieties and now you obviously sell lots of them with the sort of growth of social media and like at home gardening. Is there a variety that you think is going to be really popular like this year or next year? Is there, could you give us a tip off about a dark horse that's what i'm asking for is there anything that you see like coming in the horizon as the dahlia that's God. hard Curry. to work God. out because <laughs> we've got varieties on trial and we're trialing a one currently mm. called anti-babs um which was raised Ooh. by mm. one of our colleagues let's call them in scotland called tom cleghorn and it's a uh, a soft cream with maybe a hint of pink. If that does Ooh, well, that sounds like a good one. Then we may well be looking at introducing that. But it's still got to go, got to go through another season yet. We were caught out mm. totally this year by a variety called Le Corbier, which that's, we actually had in our catalogue, I think, back in the eighties. And it was introduced in about, well, blimey, if I say the date, I'll get it wrong, so I'm not going to put myself on the spot here. But <laughs> it's been out for a while, and it went out of commercial growth. It's been out for quite a few years. And again, the same gentleman, Tom Cleghorn, supplied me with a couple of plants to try and see what it was like. Mm-hmm. And the colour of that is the colour that a lot of you cut flower people are after, because it's a, an antique cream, I suppose. That's the best description of it. What's that one called? Um, so that's caught me out because it's in my top five yet it was something that that we dropped 20 years ago or so and it makes me think that some varieties that I no longer have I maybe should be looking for them again because they went out of popularity (laughs) for the show bench and if you ever need trial gardeners we are more than happy (laughs) yeah go and let you know we we are at your service okay I'll bear that in mind Um, I think that Tom Cleghorn, um, one of the dahlias I'm most excited about growing this year. Am I right in saying that eye candy is one of his? It is, yes. And we had it on trial. I am so excited. We had it on trial three years ago and then lost the stock. And then Tom provided us with some more again. And we built it up and we've introduced it. And it is doing remarkably well. But it is that lovely baby pink on really good strong mm. stems that stand out with the foliage making it the perfect sort of like cut flower variety but exactly. it actually has one on the short bench um, for tom as well so it's not without its exhibition merits either oh wow mm. an all-rounder you could say yes <laughs> well and i hear the bright colors are coming back also just saying the pale pinks maybe maybe 
the bright colours will come back next. Fingers crossed. That's where I would need a crystal ball. Yeah, wouldn't that be nice? Yeah. We, to be fair, it's my favourite question. Every person who comes on, I'm like, what do you think is coming? Can you give us the... Give us the edge. So if we get it, we'll let you know. Um, so on that note, seeing as we've started talking about varieties, I am going to segue to the listeners that we've got a super secret side episode. I always struggle to say that tongue twister where David is going to tell us some of his absolute favourites. If you want to get hold of that episode, you just need to become a Patreon, um, which you can find out more about by visiting our website. On that note, we will say goodbye to you david for this episode and we'll join you over on the side episode shortly thank you so much for joining us today it's outro time thank you so much for listening and for your support we are loving this season so far and we hope you are too if you love the episode as much as we love doing it then we would be so grateful if you left us a review wherever you listen to your podcasts you can also subscribe and you can find us on Instagram for more of our adventures at Let's Go Girls Podcast. We're really grateful having you here, listening to all of our interviews with our amazing guests. And we hope that you carry on enjoying the rest of the season. See you next week. Bye. Bye. You sounded really far away when you said that. You sat back. Yeah, because I didn't want to shout at our people, you know. <laughs> <laughs>